podcast we are back dennis bernstein for episode 24 of our second season here how's it going today it's going great uh, time's flying just like the season's flying so let's get to it well sometimes I, I wish the season would slow down a little bit and other times i wish it would speed up a little bit and it actually sort of depends on the schedule and how things are going uh the other day you had the kings and rain both winning on the same day so slow down sip it you know enjoy it soak it in as uh chris jericho would say but uh other days when, when they're both losing on the same day, you kind of wish that time would speed up a little bit and uh, Twitter would uh, calm down a little bit. But hey, DB, but hey, DB, we are coming to everybody live today from the Kevin Gravel studio. Now, this is a very interesting name. I know it's somebody that you know because he was uh, he was with the L.A. organization recently. Uh, and there are some listeners, are really bright listeners out there who probably immediately are jumping on and thinking, oh, I know the connection. I know why he picked that name as the studio for today. Well, one reason they might be thinking is the pronunciation. There was a lot, you know, we had uh, Jod, Yad, Jad uh, <laughs> on the last episode, and that was a lot of fun. And there was much debate uh, with young Kevin Gravel when he was in the organization. Is it Gravel? Is it Gravel? What is it? But no, it was not because of the pronunciation. Good guess. Good guess. But no. Second guess, DB, might have been because he's now with the Bakersfield Condors, who the rain just came off of playing over the weekend. And a lot of news coming out of those two games. Uh, the debacle on Saturday and then the incredible comeback on Sunday with Akil Thomas scoring a hat trick in uh, the final sort of five minutes of the game. But no, that's not the connection. It's really because of this, DB. Did you know there has only been one trade ever between the San Jose Sharks and the LA Kings? No, I didn't. Yeah. I just one. I, one. Wow. One trade ever between the teams. And guess what? It wasn't even really for players. It was draft picks where they swapped some draft picks to move up or move down, move back, whatever. And uh, one of those draft picks ended up being Kevin Gravel for the LA Kings. But how strange is that, that uh, only one trade between those two teams? That's fascinating. That that's I, I guess have the Ducks and Kings pulled off... More trades? I assume they have. They have. There, there haven't been very many, but the Kings and Ducks have right. pulled off more than one trade. Obviously, the Sean O'Donnell trade wow. is one of the bigger ones, but um, yep. I, I just find that fascinating because you would think that totally. with Dean Lombardi coming to L.A. as an example, as the former general manager of San Jose, you see this all the time. When a coach moves to another sure. team or when a general manager moves to another team, because they know their previous club so well, they they like to try to cherry pick out one or two guys, you know, to bring with them. But apparently Dean didn't do that. So it was just that one trade. The Ducks and Sharks, though, uh, DB, when it comes to trades, 
they have probably the biggest in-state trade of all time. Do you happen to know what that one was? Mm, no. March 5th, 2001, so a little more than 20 years ago, the Sharks received Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, Timu Solani. Uh, that was uh, Jeff Friesen, goalie Steve Shields, and a 2003 second-round pick, a guy who only ended up playing three NHL games, but uh, Timu Solani to the San Jose Sharks. You know what's weird, though, DB? There are a lot of former Kings that have played for the Sharks. McSorley, yes. Granado, Sandstrom. I mean, the list just goes on and on. Are there a lot of former Sharks? Because I can't really think of any. I'm sure there's probably a couple, but none come to mind. Like Scott Thornton, maybe? Like who, who's, who's, a free, yeah. who's, a, who's a former Shark that played for the Kings? None, none are coming to me. Devin Sataguchi. <laughs> really? <laughs> Okay, fair. <laughs> yes. uh, that that whole experiment will always just make me laugh. But uh, okay, okay, Devin Sataguchi, sure. We talked about his cousin, uh, Colton Yellowhorn, a couple episodes ago uh, with Chris Stewart. But um, any other former Sharks besides Sataguchi that, that stand out? No, I feel like there has to be an obvious one and we're just missing it. Yeah. Okay. We're going to have to have our crack research staff okay. or a research staff on crack uh, research staff for us. <laughs> Either one. Yes. We'll be inundated with tweets. Uh, Dennis, we are recording this on March 23rd, which is a very significant day, not only uh, for the LA Kings, but also um, just in hockey in general. March 23rd, 1994, Wayne Gretzky, of course, scored goal 802, which is timely, though, I think, not only because of the date he did that against uh, Vancouver, but really because the Kings and Sharks are in the middle of this two game series and the setup for 802 uh came a couple days before that i've talked about this before i uh, happened to be at that game march 20th 1994 kings at the sharks wild game ended up in a 6-6 tie but gretzky scored two goals uh that night and uh, the second of those two goals was scored with less than a minute to go in the game, and that was where he hit 801 to tie, of course, Gordy Howe, which allowed him to come home on the 23rd and uh, and to break the record against Vancouver. And um, <laughs> what a spectacle. Let's talk about a spectacle. What a spectacle that was. Uh, you had uh, Bruce McNall driving, uh, I think it was a Rolls-Royce or something. You know, he's going bankrupt at the time, DB, but he went big on, on the presentation. They drive oh, a Rolls onto the ice in the middle of the game. I've never seen a hockey game stopped in the middle of a game for an acknowledgement of something happening other than that night. Right. Yeah, and it's, well, it was a unique time, right? I mean, you're talking about uh, a, a, a huge milestone in NHL history. Oh, it, absolutely. I mean, you, you have to wonder if that's that one record that's not going to be broken. Um, what, what's, uh, I don't think it is. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it is either. I mean, it just it's because of the pandemic, John. If they were, if, if all we played two full seasons, the last two seasons, he'd have a legit shot. Now, I just don't see it. He he'd have to come back, and I'll add you on. He'd have to come back and put up a fifty goals uh, season next season. Mm -hmm. Does he really have that in him? So I, I I think he'll he'll come close, but that's I think still unreachable at this point. What an amazing time it was to have Gretzky in Los Angeles. Just thinking back to those, uh, you know, those years that he was here, um, it seemed like he was here forever. Uh, some nights, and then and then other times when I think about it, it seems like he was only here for just a minute. How about this, DB? Uh, uh, not to put you on the spot, but a, a trivia question that I think that perhaps most Kings fans would get wrong. I don't know, just because people think of Gretzky as like, yeah, I mean, we talk about eight hundred two. He's the greatest goal scorer of all time. So, how many goals, you know, did Gretzky score? Uh, in his time period here. What if I told you this? Wayne played 539 games in a Kings uniform. 539. How many goals do you think he scored in a Kings uniform? 
200. You're close, actually. I would expect more people to pick like 350, 400, just because, I don't know, that's what I think people would say. But the real answer is 246. So he scored like a bazillion points with the LA Kings. <laughs> I mean, 200-point seasons, just that was Gretzky's thing uh, in his career. But he scored a bazillion points with the Kings, and the majority of them were assists. Uh, you know, he's... he's uh, not even at a half a half a goal per game. I, I say that like it's uh, like it's easy to do, but uh, yeah, right. I mean, two hundred and forty six. There were a lot of memorable ones. There were some empty netters in there too, but uh, we sure. we digress. Here's another link for you, DB, between the Kings and the Sharks. Just to back to uh, more timely stuff here. So Matt Roy, I don't know if you know this, he scored his first NHL goal on March twenty first, twenty nineteen, against the Sharks. Now, Ron Burgundy was on the call that night, but. That's interesting. On March 21st, he missed it by one day because last night uh, on the 22nd, he scored his first goal of the season. So it was just uh, one day removed from the two-year anniversary of his first ever NHL goal, Kings and the Sharks. Yeah, nice way to celebrate that contract extension too, John. Absolutely. Uh, it is weird how things like that happen a lot of times too, right? Like Matt Goal, Matt, Matt Goal. <laughs> that should be his new name, Matt Goal. Matt Roy, <laughs> not known for being a goal scorer. And it's like, you see this all the time, like guys sign a new contract and they they go off or guys have a baby and they do it. And you think, well, if they could do it like today, how come they can't just do that all the time? There just must be this like weird adrenaline rush focus, something that happens uh, where, where players are. And you see it across all sports too, big home runs, you know, all sorts of things. So yeah, signs a new contract and then uh, goes out and scores a goal. Unfortunately, he needed to score a couple more if the Kings were to win that game though. Yeah, well, John, but... I I wouldn't put adrenaline rush in the same sentence as Matt Roy. <laughs> yeah, well. I'm still waiting for the adrenaline rush on one of those interviews he does on Zoom, either pre, post, or or between games. But uh, yeah, now look, guy deserve. We we've been through this, right? 194th overall pick. Mm -hmm. you now, um, just a great success story for kids out there that think uh, they that they need to be the biggest or the fastest. This kid has really developed into. Of top four defense when he plays 20 minutes a night and he's being rewarded for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the draft is fun. It's great because you get to brag to your friends about it. But the reality is the most important day of your hockey career is not the draft. It's the day after the draft because that's when all the real work begins, as scouts will tell you. So, uh, yeah, good good on Matt Roy for doing that. Uh, as far as his, his interview skills go, DB, I am laying the challenge firmly at his feet. So I, you and I both, we've talked about Zoom and the challenges before of trying to connect with somebody, right? If Especially if you're more of an introvert if you're if you're a keel thomas it's different right you don't care you could you know talk to the wall and you could make it interesting but for some guys talking over the phone or talking into a zoom computer which is just into this void it's very challenging and it's very difficult but uh i'm, I'm gonna lay the challenge at the feet of matt roy he has an open invitation to come on kings of the podcast and we will have his best interview ever that's that's yes. that's that's what i'm proclaiming right now so expect to see matt roy his beard john i don't know that was a requirement to get that deal but he did shave his beard and he came to camp and started a season with a beard and now he's clean shaven so well not sure that that helped um that, that might have helped the shot last time maybe has more power behind it because he's not carrying as much weight with that beard fair fair point how about this um i need back to our crack research staff i need somebody to go back and tell me has jeff carter scored a goal since he cut off the flow, because you know I'm big that when you cut the flow, it's like it's the end of yep. your career. Um, sure. Has Carter, I think there's a, a weird timing there because he was off to a fabulous start in the tale well, of two seasons. Against, 
He scored the clinching goal against Vegas. Oh, that's Sunday. true. That's true. Okay, so that's only one. I was okay. So, okay, so how many goals? Somebody research it. How many goals has he had with the flow versus without the flow? Uh, one of the more fascinating things in training camp that didn't get talked enough about, which was Jeff Carter's hair. Let's move on, DB. Uh, let's hit some NHL headlines here before we uh, bring in Linda Cohn. By the way, we haven't even mentioned yet today. We have a, a pretty big star coming on the show today. She's been front and center for ESPN, hosted more Sports Center episodes than any other host or co-host and uh, she's been front and center also for for carrying the flag for their hockey coverage for decades now so we're going to bring Linda in and she's going to hopefully tell us about uh, her life what she's up to what she thinks of this new deal that you and I are both really excited about putting the NHL back on ESPN and not only uh, on on television but across all their platforms ESPN plus etc ABC so uh, it'll be great to talk to Linda Uh, why don't we sort of uh, warm up into that conversation, DB, by talking some NHL headlines. One of the things that we had talked about a couple of episodes ago was the potential of moving the NHL draft. And while that didn't happen, the NHL uh, looks like they have approved some changes to the lottery format. What do you think about this? They're going from three lottery spots uh, that are you know up for grabs down to two. What do you think of that? Um. I think it's a response to Detroit getting a fourth overall pick. So I have no problem with it, John. You know my feeling about one player changing the paradigm of an entire team. So I, I think it, it's – you're trying to get a situation where you're you – know, it goes back to the to tanking, John, and, and Eichel versus McDavid. That That's the issue. That's the challenge, and that's a long time ago now. So um, I have no problem with it. It's fine. I, I get it. I understand it. And, again, I don't think it's it's a panacea to, to – Get your team really good. I mean, look at look at the Rangers this year. They have a first. They had this year's first and last year's second overall playing on the team, and you know they're out of the playoffs right now. So um, I get it. There were some complaints. Maybe it's not fair that the lower uh, a, a tenth or eleventh seeded team can get the uh, first overall pick. I'm not sure it's that impactful, but uh, um, you would would have a, a far more educated opinion on on. What do you think about that draft lottery? So what, what do you think? Well, I, there were there were two major changes to the lottery. It was one was the reduction in the number of, of picks that were up for grabs, right, right? from three to two. Yes. Um, the second one, which is a max of two times in five years. So you can't win the lottery, right? right? Because Edmonton, it seems like they were loading up and winning the lottery forever. Although, you know, back to your point, it didn't really seem to help them with all of those forwards that they had acquired. Um, I was more okay with the max number of times in the years than I was with the reduction from three to two. I just thought that was a little bit ridiculous. Like, I, I think that it's more entertaining for the fans, the more sort of picks that are up for grabs. And when you reduce it from right. three to two, eh, it just, um, you know, it used to be one. And then and then they went to the three. And, okay, fine, this is like some sort of weird, happy compromise in the middle. It felt watered down to me. It felt artificial. It didn't feel like it was something that was necessary. I, I'm not opposed to change, but when you're going to change something... I just think it needs to be more, you know, sort of evolution, maybe even revolutionary if needed, but more evolutionary and going with a max of two times in five years, that feels fine to me, but the three to two just feels phony. I guess that's the only other way I can say it. Here's my issue, John. Why are we talking about this every single year? (laughs) Why can't they just agree to some convention and just keep it? It's like every year something happens. Oh, we need to change the lottery. Every year, it's, right. it, that to me, 
that's the issue. That's the challenge. Like you can't come up with a system that is going to cover all the bases and just go forward for at least a couple of years. So we don't have to talk about this in March of 2022 because somebody <laughs> got screwed this July. That's that's my concern. I think you're on to something, actually. Yeah. Can we can, maybe we could do this? Can we put it on the same uh, annual cycle as the CBA? So just whatever they come up with as part of the CBA negotiations, they hammer out what the lottery is going to be for that you know term of the contract and then just be done with it. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. It doesn't feel like we need to um, adjust this thing every year or every couple of years just for whatever reason. Yeah, so let's, let's go back. Let's go back to the last draft, right? And, and you mentioned the entertainment component. Mm-hmm. Like when it got to three, and the king's card still was being hidden, you weren't. People weren't excited about that. Damn straight they were. So <laughs> it, there is an entertainment component to it as well. Oh, for, for sure, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I. I I don't know. It is what it is. Um, right, it, I know. You know, well, they'll get to the lottery this year and some teams will move up and, and whatnot. And it is fun to debate, uh, you know, if the lottery balls had gone a different way, you know. I mean, think about just for the L.A. example as, as a perfect case in point. What would have happened if the L.A. Kings would have picked second and taken Kako uh, two years ago, right? right? Then what would have happened if they would have fallen in the, in the Byfield draft, if they would have fallen to number five that year instead or fallen to four or, you know, something weird like that. So, you know, I think it, uh, it is interesting to always think about the what ifs we, we looked a couple uh, episodes ago, DB back like, Hey, this guy was drafted one pick before one pick after a particular player. You know, it, it's, it's fun to, to have those conversations, but in reality, it doesn't, um, it doesn't, it doesn't mean, mean as yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean as much as people try to make it out to be because the game is a so much more than just one particular player. Uh, next NHL headline here um, again, timely with the Kings and the Sharks. It's it's sort of come out here over the last couple of days. Uh, Patrick Marlowe, is, who's back in San Jose, is now open to a trade. Uh, this is similar to we talked about Dustin Brown potentially uh, with the Islanders. You had brought that up, I think it was the last episode, maybe two episodes ago, and uh, it's in Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts. Again, uh, you almost can't think of Dustin Brown not being part of the Kings. Patrick Marlowe, can you think of him at this point with that milestone hanging out there? Could he really leave San Jose? Uh, I don't know, John. <laughs> Have you seen him play? I mean, he's going to be a fourth liner, right, for for some team Uh at this point. I'm not sure. I guess if there's some value. I mean, John, 30 games, one goal, four assists, minus one, right, playing 13 (laughs) minutes a night. What's the market? (laughs) Yeah, that's not a big market, John. John. (laughs) You got a sixth-round pick laying around somewhere? Okay. If Patrick really wants to, because I assume Patrick wanted to continue his career. Mm -hmm. Like, did he look at the San Jose Sharks – coming back and say, this team's going to contend for the cup. Mm-hmm. Well, if he thought that way, he got some bad guidance. So he might want to talk to his advisors, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of his come home play. Does he want to go? And look, they can't trade into a Canadian team because he's going to have to quarantine for two weeks. Mm-hmm. So that's probably off the board. So I guess, I, I, I don't know. But what does Patrick just, Marlowe give you? What, what, I mean, forget the goals and, and the stat line. What, what, what team out there is thinking like, yeah, that's what we need right now? I, I don't know, John. It, it Would it be a team that... That it has developed like Carolina or Florida. They need some leadership in the room. This veteran's going to come in and help. Patrick Marlowe isn't a fiery guy, John, right? You know, he's a very, very quiet guy. He's the guy that was the captain, and then, you know, they pulled the captaincy off him. So mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't know, John. I, I guess he would be open to a trade because 
San Jose really has no aspirations, and he hasn't won a, a cup. So is he going to go to contender? But to your point, John, you look at the the, the big boys. He's not going to go to Vegas. He's not going to go to to Tampa, right? I mean, he's not going to go to Co- maybe Colorado. I don't know. No, they're pretty depth. Their depth's great up front. So where's he going to land that's going to add to a team that has a chance to win the title? If I was him, I'd just stay home, finish out the season, and make the decisions got to make, um, you know, 26 games from now. If he is traded, I do want to seek out the press conference where the general manager talks about it because um, I, I'm not dissing the guy or his career or anything like that. I'm just asking the question. At this point in 2021, what does Patrick Marlowe give you to your team that Absolutely. you feel that you want to give up assets to acquire him. I just don't understand yeah. what it is that he's giving you at this point. Um, like yeah. you said, I mean, it's not it's not this tremendous leadership story, right? It, it's not this commanding presence. It's not. Uh, it, it certainly isn't not production. Yeah, it's not production. <laughs> so I, I don't. I don't know. Like he's had a he's had a fine career, and you know, let's let's just let him finish out his career in San Jose and hit the milestone wearing a Sharks jersey because sure. when you think San Jose Sharks, you should be thinking Patrick Marlowe as of one of the one of the four on your uh, on your Mount Rushmore, if you will. Uh, moving from the West Coast out to the East Coast, DB, before we wrap up the first period here, Buffalo Sabres. I mean, we could do a whole episode just on the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, with injuries and everything, but uh, on the coaching front, they, they well they've lo- they lost another game. First of all, Dennis, you want to start yes. there? Yeah, they just continue to lose games, John. It's it's just a, a straight plummet down. Now, look, granted, they um, they lost to the Rangers five three, but the good news is is that uh, Jeff Skinner did score a goal. But this team is banged up. They're beaten. They're, they're you know what are they going to do with Taylor Hall? There's so many question marks around this team and and how they get back to contention. Because John, remember in the summer. They gave $8 million to Taylor Hall because they thought they were a playoff team. So, you know, but I, I couldn't agree more with – and you know my feelings about that coach. I, I never thought Ralph Kruger should have gotten that job. I didn't think he was qualified. I think he, his body of work didn't really merit coming back to the NHL and getting a team, uh, but he did. So now they're going to try to correct that mistake uh, by the Bodrill. And that, that's part of the issue with Kevin Adams. There's twofold things here, Mayor. Uh, Kevin Adams was – he was VP of business – of, you know, operations for the Sabres. Mm-hmm. He was not a, a hockey guy, mm-hmm. right? He ran Harbor Center. Like, he's a finance guy. So he desperately needs somebody in here, like, right now that has player personnel experience. Mm-hmm. Has to have that person. Because you are you going to rely on this guy to make trades, right? And the Pagoulas to make trades at this point in time, which they really probably need to do. So I think that's part of it is that. And then the question is, you know, what's Jack Eichel's head about? He's injured right now. Um, he's still an elite talent. So there, there's a lot of questions. But, you know, with respect to the coach, it should be wide open for suggestions. I'm not sure you had a real, uh, you know, everybody loved Ralph Kruger. Do you go to the other end of the spectrum and bring in a taskmaster? Although there aren't that many type of coaches left, John. So, uh, but, um, you know, what are your thoughts about the next bench boss in uh, for the Sabres? Yeah, I would also add to that that uh, I was equally surprised when he got the job to begin with. I, I it, it, To me, it starts there, right? You look at any good right. organization, and almost always it starts with strong leadership at the top. And uh, while I don't know the man personally, um, just from the outside looking in, it, it was a head-scratcher. And you go, wait a minute, this guy? I mean, you look at the, the, the people that are out there that are available to be hired as a general manager, either guys that are no longer with organizations or even even some of the young up-and-comers um, that maybe haven't been given an opportunity. You don't have to be young either. You could be, you know, middle-aged or even old, just never had an opportunity, right? So experience, people with experience that had never been given an opportunity, 
there, there's a there's a, a healthy pool of people that are available to go out and do that. Now, maybe finances came into this. I, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, thinking about Carolina and sort of how they've hired certain people at different times, maybe that right. came into play. I don't see how they seem to be printing money. Uh, the Pagulas. Yes. So I I don't yeah. I I doubt that was the reason. I don't know. Uh, but in terms of a coach, I'm going to throw an interesting name at you, uh, and the name is. John Stevens, former LA Kings coach, who is now an assistant coach in Dallas. Um, I had sort of heard some stuff about this about two weeks before they were um, they were getting ready to, to fire Kruger, and I'd asked a couple people like, "Hey, uh, you know," because sometimes Dennis, you know how it is—you hear something and you're like, eh, "Let me cross check cross check this yeah. uh, with right. two or three other sources and make sure." Right? You have certain sources where it's like it's a slam dunk information. And you're like, "Yeah, it's true. Of course it is." And then you have other sources where you know they 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 hear stuff and maybe they're not as connected to it. I'm certainly not connected to the Buffalo Sabres organization. So I checked with a couple people who might know and they were like, eh, maybe, I don't know, you know, um, not mm-hmm. sure. Oh, okay. Uh, the idea at least is interesting um, because much in the vein of like a Terry Murray and you think about the Kings uh, and what they went through in their right. rebuild, right? They didn't need a taskmaster. They didn't master. They didn't need Daryl Sutter uh, prior to the point that they picked him up. They needed someone Correct. like a Terry Murray. They right. needed someone to implement a system, teach the kids, yep. and get them on the right track. And so, no, I, I I would say that they don't need somebody who's heavy-handed. And if Tortorella doesn't make it out of Columbus, he's the wrong hire for Buffalo. Yeah, he's right? the odds-on guy, but yeah, I, I, I hasn't John Tortorella proved that he can't coach uh, the the elite level of player in this generation like there's a disconnect yeah star players in him like every time like mm-hmm. you know he, and the guys who left even though they they gave they gave the city of columbus they offered it to to panarin and he wanted to go play in new york mm-hmm. you know bobrovsky left and now the issues with uh both dubois and lana yeah i, I john how do you think john tortorella and jack eichel are gonna mix think that's gonna work <laughs> no but he, no but here's the challenge db you have to no. be careful when you hire these teachers uh think about a dallas yes. eakins right in anaheim great teacher at the american league level guys rallied behind him Gal- guys liked him and whatnot but then when you get to the nhl nhl level much like it's a challenge for a player it's a challenge for a coach so that's where i think that Maybe you need an experienced teacher, and that's to me what a John Stevens is. That's what a Terry Murray is. As two, you know, potential examples. I'm sure there are others. Uh, you need an experienced teacher, knowing that that coach is probably only going to get you. Uh, you know, you only right. need him that's for about a three-year window, and right. then you're going to exactly. go out and hire right. wh- whoever that's your whoever your hard ass is going to be to get you over the top. Exactly. So you have to probably look at a five-year plan for a coach, like that builder, that that structural guy, and then. Unless you're bringing some really wicked uh, assistant coaches, you're probably going to have to make a move because, again, can that type of coach get this team all the way through? But, yeah, great point on that. Well, also, when you hire an assistant DB, just to, to follow up on that, you, you it doesn't always work either. Like, people forget that when, when Daryl Sutter hired Davis Payne, that was his successor. Like we all, we all sort of yeah. remember the, the romantic story of John Stevens, right? But the truth is... Davis Payne was really the guy that was hired to be the successor. He's the one that they he, remember. He was the hot shot coach that was hired in St. Louis. Everyone right. thought the world of him. He was the, you know, uh, what do you call that? He was the um, uh, golden boy. No, no, no. When, when, when yeah, the, the sexy pick, you know, when you come into the, come into the season, yeah. the trendy, he was the trendy topic, you know, of the coach coaching uh, pool at the time and things didn't work out, you know, and so they brought him, to LA and, and, and Daryl would privately talk him up and, 
Didn't he interview at the at the ranch? Didn't didn't Davis Payne go and like spend time doing stuff with the cattle? If I remember the story correctly, do, do you remember I think, this? I think you're right. Yeah. yeah, and and he was the guy that they were grooming. That they thought, okay, this is going to be, you know, the next head coach uh, in L.A. And I mean, obviously, it didn't work. I don't even think that that thought process extended you know, many years, because I think that right. in, in the final season, by the final season of, of Daryl's tenure here, it was obvious that the, the, the keys were not going to be given to no. uh, Davis Payne. And that's why they had started to pivot towards, towards John Stevens, but it was there sort of served up on a silver platter for Davis Payne to come in. My, so my point being, you can hire assistants and put them under whatever head coach you hire in Buffalo with this long-term vision and plan, but it doesn't mean it's always going to work out because everything has to click and come together. A hundred percent. It's got to be, it's a very difficult choice. So, cause look how many coaches get fired, John, and look how many times you guess wrong. So yeah, it, it's, it's a very people. I think they undersell the, how difficult it is to build a coaching staff mm-hmm. to have all the right components in. Mm-hmm. And then that's probably why you see so many guys go back to people that they've worked with before, whether it's, you know, Todd McClellan uh, going back to Trent Yanni. They worked together before. They, they know each other. It's, they go together like a hand in a glove. It's very easy, right? And that's why for as much hype as there was around a guy like uh, Marco this Sturm, you know, Todd's coming in. He's not going to say it publicly, but he's coming in cold going like, hey, who's this guy? What, you know, how is he going to fit into the whole thing? And... Uh, if you remember when McClellan was on the the podcast, I had even said to him, hey, I heard that, you know, by the middle of the season, you guys had kind of figured it out. And Todd kind of agreed with that. And he was like, yeah, you know, it, it took us about a half a season to really figure out our communication style and what his role was going to be. And then it all sort of came together and started started clicking. So that's uh, fortunate for them. But it will be interesting to see in the years that move ahead where does Mark, I mean, we don't even talk about Marco anymore, right? But what happens to right. Marco Sturm? Like, is does he become a hot coaching candidate? Are you going to start to hear his name in a couple of years from now for other gigs around the NHL? Or has he sort of plateaued? Um, fascinating mm-hmm. thing that we haven't even really touched on. Agreed. All right, DB, on the other side, we have Linda Cohn from ESPN. She's going to come in. We're going to talk about her career and the exciting development between the NHL and ESPN and their long-term agreement to uh, put the game back on the number one sports channel. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After the break. Used to spend my nights out in ballroom. Liquor was the only love I'd known. But you rescued me. 
me from reaching for the bottom. Welcome back, second period. And we are really excited for today's guest. Uh, you guys know her. You've seen her on TV forever. She's covered a million different sports centers. She's also available on In the Crease, which is on ESPN+. Plus. She's been doing that. You probably have heard her all over the radio, including Sirius XM, NHL Radio. We're talking about Linda Cohen. Linda, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me, guys. How are you, John? DB, how's it going? Well, we're doing pretty well, uh, all things considered. You know, we've been cooped up in our homes here for the last year. So we're we're chomping at the bit to get out and uh, spend more time with people. But we do have this platform to to yak at uh, people with. And look, the timing of this, we wanted to have you on the program because we, we hear you all the time and we know that you're so knowledgeable about the sport and so sort of uh, woven into the fiber of the NHL here over the last couple of decades, but the timing of it getting on ESPN uh, and the NHL getting them back together. Well, let's get into that a little bit later, but I had, a, I had a question right out of the gate for you because in doing some research to get ready for the show, I found out something that I, I, I didn't know, and that is you were a goalie growing up. You uh, Not only in college, but even before that, you played goalie on an all-boys team back in high school. Yeah, and uh, that kind of explains a lot that I'm a goalie and I'm kind of a little uh, nutty and, uh, <laughs> you know, and all that and being a Scorpio, those two things I think could, is a dangerous combo. But here's the deal. Uh, I always loved um, the game. I, my dad's no longer with us, but um, he started me on the obsession for hockey. Uh, um, you know, growing up on Long Island, I was actually a Rangers fan uh, because my dad was such a passionate Rangers fan. And so we really bonded over that. And then uh, if it wasn't for my mom, you know, finding out even before I made my high school team, which was an all boys team, um, when I went to high school, there was a league. And then ironically, it was a New York Islanders league uh, in Farmingdale, New York. I grew up on Long Island and um, they accepted girls to play hockey. My mom found this out. But, uh, you know, I discovered the game at 13, 14 but I was only allowed to play with boys that are like five years younger than me. So I started out in this league on Long Island playing with eight-year-old boys and nine-year-old boys. Even though I was 14, I should be babysitting them. Instead, <laughs> you know, I was on the ice with them. But that was the difference back then. But I was just so grateful to have an opportunity to play with boys. And I, and I think that was really what escalated my, you know, skill set. Um, because I always played with boys uh, playing hockey. And then... Eventually, I graduated playing with 12-year-old boys when I was still 14, so they realized I was pretty good. And then I tried out for my, um, you know, the, you know, on high school on Long Island, it was just a club team, but it was a, you know, it was a serious league with 30 different teams. And I tried out and when I was 16 in my junior year in high school. I did not make it, but I opened up the eyes of the coaches, and they basically said, come back next year. I did, and I made the team as a backup goalie, and I started about eight of the you know, eight of the 30 games. Um, and I, you know, came in from mop up duty. And then the first time I played hockey with, uh, women was when I went to Oswego state, which is an upstate undergrad upstate New York school. And they had a women's hockey team. And, uh, and that was fabulous. Um, playing teams like Cornell and RIT and St. Lawrence, uh, just again, just playing great competition, but that's where it all began. And that my I always say this, but it's really a fact. I mean, because of fact, I had to block out the noise being a goaltender. Mm -hmm. uh, even people that, you know, even when I, in the early days, even when I was playing with the eight-year-olds, I, you know, I, I kind of heard the moms hearing, what is she doing out there? What's mm -hmm. that? You know, this is a long time ago, guys. I don't, all you have to do is Google me, you know, feel how long it is decades ago. 
I had to block out all the criticism and noise of like, what is she doing there? And I translated that to a career where, you know, a girl in a boys club, you know, early on, um, you know, which and ESPN, you know, I made the big jump there. But um, I owe that to being a goalie and playing hockey for, you know, instilling those skills of just not dealing with the criticism or dealing with the so-called haters, the people that don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Great, great story. I have to have a follow-up question here. Numerology is something that we normally do when we have players on and we go through the the history of the numbers that they wear or that other players on the same team have worn. Yeah. So we have to know, what was your number when you were a goalie? Uh, that's easy. It was always number one. And it was number one because the first, you know, goalie I ever loved and wanted to be like was when I was younger was Eddie Jockerman of the New York Rangers. He was just such a great goaltender and he did things in an unorthodox way. And, and back in the day, you know, before the Marty Verdors of the world, it was Eddie Jockerman who was behind the net playing the puck with his stick, being very active, coming out of his crease, getting into fights, instilling, uh, you know, getting his teammates to wake up. I'll never forget that. Uh, early, the first playoff series against the New York Islanders. You know, I remember I was actually babysitting at the time, but <laughs> I was, you know, uh, you know, I remember it was like, it was a best of three series in 1975, I believe it was, or 74. And, um, you know, and uh, J.P. Parisi, Zach's dad scored the overtime goal 11 seconds into overtime in a best of three shocking arrangers. And I remember in that game, for some reason, uh, Gilles Villemure started that game. He let up three bad goals, and then a goalie change was made, and I think it was Emil Francis was behind the net, and he brought in uh, Eddie Jockerman, and instantly Eddie started a fight for no reason with Gary Howitt, the New York Islanders, behind the net, and the Rangers proceeded to tie up the game and send it into overtime where they proceeded to lose 11 seconds in. But that was really what won me over about Eddie Jockman and what a goalie means to a team. Fantastic. Okay. So me and Linda are contemporaries and, and Linda grew up in Long Island yeah. in the Bronx. You could hear from the, so let, let me, let me tell you about my Ranger fan. And this is going way back before we were in media or doing our thing here. So I was a Ranger fan like you and yep. at the same time in the seven. And I got tired of the Rangers losing every single yes. in the six, like every year they would choke or not do well. And you and I, we both watched Jim Gordon and Bill Chadwick on channel nine. On, oh, right? So, yes. then, so then, but then a turn came and you might call it a heel turn in wrestling terms. So I moved to Princeton, New Jersey, and down there you had uh, UHF TV and this one channel 29 from Philadelphia. And there was this team in orange <laughs> and white and black and black that fought every night. And had yeah. guys like Dave, and I, I became a Flyers fan, like in 1971, and they wound up winning the cup um, in 73, 74. So I did a beating the Rangers along the beating yes. the Rangers along the way in, like, in that first one. And so when I want to take this in a little different direction. So like women in hockey, you are certainly one of the standard bears uh, that represent. Uh, women in this sport. So your message to women that either want to play or get into broadcasting this particular sport, what's your message in 2021? Because you mentioned when you started, it was very, very different, but just the atmosphere around the game with respect to women in it uh, right now. Well, thank goodness. It's uh, to say it's more welcoming is an understatement. Young women, girls, little girls have an opportunity to play in leagues 
start young. Parents who are listening should start their kids young. I didn't start young enough. You know, I was, my mother wanted me to be a tennis player. Uh, nothing wrong with that. I turned out to be a very good tennis player, but I liked hockey better, so I gave up tennis. Um, but the point is this, it's there for you in every rink, no matter where you are, they have girls' leagues. That's that's that. So you have to start young. And and it's ne- and then on the other hand, it's never too late to jump in the fire. And if you know, if you're just someone that loves hockey and loves watching the game and you're like, you know what, I want to lace up a pair of skates. You know, I learned how to skate with my goalie pads on. I did not know how to ice skate. True story. I learned with 40 pounds of old school goalie equipment on, and it was so something that I was so used to that when I went and public skating or went with friends to just do some public skating without the equipment, of course, I almost couldn't stand on my feet for the first few minutes. So my point is this, it's much easier to get involved in the game in any way possible. Let's say you don't, let's say you're in college or let's say you want a profession that has to do uh, with the NHL. It's, I also give advice that way. It's just so easy with social media, technology the way it is, to show off your talent, show off your knowledge, show off your entertainment aspect of you, your personality, to you know sell yourself. There are many job opportunities in social media for each team. There are jobs, and especially if you're a woman, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get a look-see because let's face it, if you're talented, if you're highly skilled and you're good at what you do and you're a hard worker, uh, it's not like the old days where you're not even going to be looked at. You're going to be seriously considered, but you still, I still feel women have to do, you know, jumping jacks blindfolded and, and do a couple of cartwheels a little bit more than the men do, but we have come a long way. There's still a ways to go. And as for the broadcasting field, gosh, there's so many talented women right now do, um, serving as analysts. I always think of AJ Malesko. She's sure. like right, you know, front and center for me. She is just fabulous. Um, just, it just, uh, it just makes the game easy and doesn't talk down to, um, doesn't talk down to you and also helps those that maybe perhaps are learning the game. So simplifies it. Um, with, and it's just fantastic. So, the good news, D.B., is that we're moving in the right direction. And, of course, in the Olympics with women's hockey, especially in the United States and, you know, Team USA and how wonderful they are. And then the colleges and the talent. And, you know, we just saw Wisconsin, I believe, beat Northeastern and win, you know, um, the championship, the NCAA. And just it's just uh, I smile. I smile when seeing all of the success and the growth in the women's game. Linda, you know, I, I came into this interview with – 20 questions for you, but the, the most exciting parts of interviews for me uh, would be when we sort of make a left turn and things develop organically. And that's kind of what happened here. I'm, I'm listening to you talk about blocking out the haters just a moment ago, and it got me to thinking about your time on radio and doing some call-in radio shows. The modern day sort of equivalent of that would be social media and blocking out the, you know, the haters and all the nonsense. And uh, I, I'm just curious for your perspective on this, because Dennis and I deal with this a lot. We're, we're very engaged with hockey fans and, and talking to them online and answering their questions. And yet some of it becomes repetitious. Some of it becomes very toxic as somebody who had to do that over the radio. I think I'm guessing maybe it was a little bit easier because you have a producer who can filter through some of that, but talk radio. Well, let me, let me jump all. in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let me, let me jump in. I mean, the key to being a good sports talk show host is creating, you know, stirring the pot, right? I mean, creating, getting phone calls, getting people, uh, either passionate about you're crazy or passionate like, I'm so with you, Linda, you're right, and I had a call. Um, but let's go back in time. Again, when I first started at ESPN, even though I was doing radio and doing local cable TV, uh, 
back in the day, there was no social media, right? But mm-hmm. when I started ESPN way back when, where there was still no, no social media in 1992, um, I, you know, I'm still there. And uh, back in the early days, people, if they didn't like you, it was amazing. Like, all that they have to do is find out the main number of the ESPN switchboard. <laughs> the switchboard operator would connect that person. All that person would have to say is, can I talk to Linda Cohn? All right, let me send her, let me send you to her voicemail. <laughs> so I would get, that would be social media back in the day, mm-hmm. listening to my voicemail after doing Sports Center. you know, coming off the set, stopping off at my desk. Oh, wow, I've got calls. Okay, picking up the phone, checking my messages, and hearing the most bizarre critiques that have nothing to do with anything that I said, but how I looked or what I was wearing or how I was standing or how I was sitting or, you know. So, I mean, it's an absolute joke. Now, sadly, of the young women that I speak to in the business now who are, you know, um, like have a schedule or on TV or on anybody's screen as much as I was back in the day uh, regarding like sports center as, as an example, or whether it's NFL live or, you know, whatever shows it is um, they still have to deal with that, but they deal it through social media. And mm-hmm. I always tell them stop looking at your mentions for God's sakes. I mean, it's just, I mean, I don't, I wish I could look at my mentions more and I do. And I try to, and they're all, you know, most of them times have changed. Most of them are, you know, really good. And people, I've built up a, I, people now know that I know what the hell I'm talking about. It wasn't, you know, type of thing back in the day, again, in the nineties and mm-hmm. early two thousands. But, you know, yeah, women sadly are judged before anything. They're already judged. So, you know, guys, and, uh, you know, this is the truth. It's not just me, me whatever, spitting stuff out. Guys are given the assumption that they know what they're talking about because they have that job. Mm-hmm. Women always have to prove constantly, endlessly that they belong. And it's still, it's still the case today, sadly. And um, here's what I'll say about the whole thing. I, there's so many talented women out there that are in uh, vis- visible positions, which is fantastic. And 99.9% of them deserve to be there, but there'll always be one or two that you're like, huh, okay, why are you making this mistake? You should know better. And, and, and if it's a one-time thing, fine. We all make mistakes. I make mistakes. You know, check out, and I don't have to tell you guys, pr- the pronunciation of some of these players' names sometime when you least expect it, uh, when, you, when you know it's coming on a highlight and you're like, uh, okay. But, you know, I'm talking about just, you know, uh, knowledge and and, uh, where you can really show off what you know about the game. So bottom line is this. Um, It's changed for the better, but there's still work to be done the way women are judged in this business. So so all's well, it ends well. So now you're nestled in the in the crease at ESPN plus. And two weeks ago, Jimmy Pitaro and Gary Bett make the announcement that there's a reuniting after 17 years. So, so how did the vehicle of Indicrease come to you? Yeah, I mean, um, I have to credit a guy that works behind the scenes, high up in production, uh, Mike McQuay, big hockey guy. You know, one of the core group behind the scenes that kept the fl- fire burning uh, until a guy like Jimmy Pitaro you know, started running ESPN. And I have been a fan of Jimmy's even before this deal was done. What a breath of fresh air. 
what a, a guy that just gets it. And you can see the progress ESPN has made since he's arrived. And I always bring up this uh, story. Um, I, I had just met him. There was a, he was holding a little town hall meeting for the uh, ESPN colleagues of mine and myself in L.A. in the ESPN uh, Sports Center studio in L.A. Um, it was probably about six months after I arrived. Uh, just sort of like, hey, how are you? He was introduced. He's very down-to-earth, genuine. It's about like less than a year since he started the job, maybe a few months after he got the job as head of ESPN. And uh, one of my colleagues, a guy in production, stood up, asked Jimmy a question. First question that was asked to Jimmy uh, was, of all the uh, sports properties ESPN and, uh, you know, ABC and Disney does not have, which one would you like to get? Jimmy didn't even blink an eye. I'm telling you, it was a half a second. He said, NHL. This was two years ago, two and a half years ago. Mm. Not even hesitation. So that is when I knew and I had hope and I had more than hope, but true belief that uh, Jimmy Pitaro was going to make it happen. And, you know, I'm a Gary Bettman fan and I knew when the opportunity was right, uh, Gary would figure out a way and they would come to an amazing agreement. And I speak for many at the company, at the worldwide leader, that we are just so excited to bring the uh, NHL back and it's going to be better than ever. And there's a lot of young listeners, perhaps young people that don't remember the way ESPN covered it pre-social media, pre a lot of things back in the day, as you mentioned, 17 years ago was the last season. Uh, I can't even begin to tell you what what's going to happen here. I mean, I still don't know all of the details and I barely know anything. We're in the infant stages, even though it all begins in October, but it is going to be incredible, the coverage. It's not going to be just, player is going to be in some sports center commercials, which was wonderful and, and, and showed off the personality of all of these amazing national hockey league players. Uh, it's just going to be so next level on so many different platforms and it's great for the league and it's great for ESPN. And as Gary said, it's win-win. Yeah. And there's a, there's a joke running around, right? That um, if you went to sleep 17 years ago and woke up, with the newest coverage of ESPN covering the NHL, Daryl Sutter is still the coach of the Calgary Flames. Over there. <laughs> I know. What does that tell you? I don't know if that's good or bad. When you think of it, <laughs> we'll have to see how the Flames look at the end of the season. And and uh, but the the point that's funny. Um, but you know, like the reason why I bring that up is they're always the we get back to the haters, right? I mean, they're always like, oh, you know, you know, like they'll just find negativity. But these are people that don't understand when you. When you don't, when you're a big time network, when you don't have a product and you don't make a long term commitment and you don't pay millions and millions of dollars for it, you know, you're going to cover a different. Sure. Uh, it just is, it just makes sense. I mean, if you were running, you know, any company, you would do that as well. So, um, you know, the thing is, that's why I'm just so anxious to see. And that's why all these players have really pumped up. I mean, um, the general managers, I mean, I, I've had people reach out to me and saying, congrats this is amazing like i had something to do with it but they know i kept the light on the torch burning and i appreciate that and i appreciate those people reaching out but there's so many people i don't have to tell you guys you guys are so connected with players and, and and coaches and gms they know this is great for the game and for their teams and for their players 100 1000 percent. it's absolutely it's amazing for the game and you know you talk about uh, how the espn covers other sports uh dennis and i have talked about this on previous episodes how 
the change with UFC when it was a, a league yes. or an organization that ESPN largely ignored. And why would they cover it? They weren't, they didn't have that uh, as part of their portfolio. And the minute that they signed that epic deal with ESPN and, you know, ESPN plus and everything, uh, it, it's been phenomenal, their coverage. And if you're a hockey fan, you have to be excited because you expect the same thing. We have to ask you about two other people connected to it as well. Obviously you are the face of the NHL and have been forever when, when it comes to ESPN. There are two other guys though, uh, in Butchergrass and Melrose, uh, just curious. I mean, obviously different characters, right? But uh, what what can you say about the excitement level of those two guys and how they might play into all of this? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't make any decisions. I know I can speak for Barry. I mean, I work with Barry on in the crease. Worked with Barry for a million years. Love him. Uh, he's just a, a fixture. Um, I feel. I mean, if I was a betting person, that of course Barry would play a big role. But what's great about ESPN, they don't. You know, you don't, you don't just, you, you, let's put it this way. You, you recognize your history, right? You make it a part of your presence and your future, but you don't just do the same thing. You just don't recycle, uh, what was done back in the day. You know, listen, Gary Thorne is like 73 years old. Do I love Gary Thorne? Do we all love Gary Thorne <laughs> and Bill Clement? You know, Bill's thinking about coming out of retirement because of this news, but I mean, maybe they bring those guys back together for like a few games, right? I don't know, but to me, that would be fun, you know, just like a couple, you know, a few special games a year and bring those two back. Right. Um, you know, you would think Barry's a, a big role. I mean, you forgot Steve Levy, Mr. Overtime. Uh, he was, you know, so great at play-by-play. Obviously, he does Monday Night Football now. But, um, you know, it was just a running joke, especially those late West Coast, as you guys know, games on ESPN2. Uh, it seems like Levy would have all right. Levy would have every four overtime game. Uh, I can't speak for Butchie. I know he's probably ecstatic, but his concentration. He, I think he's a more college hockey guy yeah. than NHL, but yeah. he won't tell you that. <laughs> but I still love him because he always uh, mentions the NHL, and I kudos to him because it's harder to follow college hockey, or as he says, college hockey, or whatever he says. But um, you know, so all, all I can do is tell you that. There are a lot of people even behind the scenes that have been waiting for this day. So you do a nightly highlight show. So when you're running yeah. a package before you'd go and, and record, like what are you saying to yourself when you see Connor McDavid highlights? Oh, love it. Oh, I can't, I'm telling you, it's like, here's what we do. We'll sit, we'll have a little meeting over the phone. Oh, the Oilers are playing tonight. Even though we have my, the rundown in our head. Oh, you know what? I'm just throwing things out here. Like, let's, you know, let's lead with the, uh, you know, the Islanders flyers or whatever. But hold on. But everything might change if, you know, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl goes off, right? Or and then that changed. Then that'll be the first game off the animation before we say hi, hello. That's, so that's what our talk is. It's what that's what, you know, that's what that means, you know, with Connor McDavid um, and that team and Leon Dreisaitl. I just love that. I love. Um, Austin Matthews and you know I know he's been sitting on uh, a gold figure here for a while but you know hopefully the Leafs are getting their act together now that they've you know made a goaltending switch here for the time being um, but it's so much fun to look at it another example you know Colorado looked like who is this team why were the Avs the sexy pick to go to a Stanley Cup final and then now no coincidence Nathan McKinnon has been coming on and showing off his skills and his speed and his talent and his mitts. And suddenly the abs are like, oh, okay, now I get it. All right. They're, they're like, they're, they might end up in first place, mm -hmm. like many people thought. So um, it's so much fun to predict what is going to happen on any 
uh, a given night. Uh, that's, that is for sure. And these races that we have are great. I mean, I, I love these realigned divisions. I'm sorry. I know I'm in the minority, but I don't get tired of, you know, the Battle of Alberta. I'm sorry. I just don't. I mean, I don't get tired of, you know, eight times, a, uh, I don't, you know, eight times a season or, you know, or Islanders, Rangers, and they, they still have a lot of their games left to play. And you know what I'm saying? It's just, uh, people always find negative on, we should all be grateful. We're having such an exciting season and we're able to see the growth of the incredible young talent getting back full circle here um, of, Players like Connor McDavid, the best player in the National Hockey League. Yeah, absolutely. Love your positivity there. Uh, let's, Linda, first of all, thanks for your time today. We, we've loved having you on. It's been wonderful. We could have you on again. We have 100 more questions. Let's uh, wrap things up today, though, by taking it back to the very beginning, talking about you being a goaltender. And maybe this is a little bit of a, uh, a pitch for the, the new ESPN-NHL um, relationship here. There was a time where you tried out for the Florida Panthers and uh, where <laughs> you were able to tend goal there a little bit. Maybe we could see uh, a reprisal of that in the new the new deal. Hey, listen, I'm all for an all-goalie show all the time. <laughs> Let me tell you, goalie union. I would respect that. I'd love it. I welcome it. I embrace it. I would love to host a goalie show, and I'd love to do it from the ice. And my pads and equipment are just waiting there in the corner. And my goalie stick that, uh, you know, one of my favorite sticks is one Marty Baron gave me, the great Marty Baron, who, by the way, is suffering in Buffalo, I'm sad to say. But um you know uh that would be great but um yeah that was an amazing moment i i credit guys like matthew caldwell part of that amazing panthers management staff who gave me that opportunity uh to be a part of their emergency tryout to be an emergency goalie and uh i was you know i i held my own and we went live with it on sports center um i faced 12 shots sean sean thornton sent a shot whistled by my ear it was the first shot I faced. I was a nervous wreck, but even if I wasn't a nervous wreck, I would not have stopped it. <laughs> and that, that went in, but the next 10 I stopped oh, really? uh, from, from not all from Thornton, but others as well. And so uh, I left the ice with a smile on my face and yeah, that was a great opportunity. That was a lot of fun. And I met a lot of great goaltenders. Um, and also I met uh, Thomas Bocoon the day before he had me on the ice. He was giving me pointers. And he helped me remember the number one tip if you're a goalie, always keep that stick on the ice. Oh, there you go. Let's uh, <laughs> we're gonna give you we're gonna give you a chance to go out strong here today. Call your shot. We're uh, we're just a couple of months away. Who is gonna win the Stanley Cup this year? Well, before the year I picked uh, the Vegas Golden Knights to face the Lightning in the final. Um, I'm I'm gonna even though I love the Lightning and I wouldn't be shocked if they repeat, uh, I'm gonna stick with my pick. I'm not a fair weather picker so i'm gonna stick with vegas all right so you're gonna you're gonna double down on vegas as the cup winner as they say yeah linda it's been outstanding thank you so much best of luck and uh once things get settled and we actually know what this new relationship is going to look like we uh, we'd love to have you back on because i'm sure you're going to be a, a big featured part of it and we'd love to hear all about it so thank you uh, enjoy the rest of the season and we'll talk soon absolutely no problem thank you both thank you both thank you db thank you john anytime all right, Linda Cohen, we'll be back after the break. We'll talk more hockey.
Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. All right, welcome back, third period. Uh, DB, great uh, chat there with Linda. Really uh, appreciated her perspective on things. The queen of hockey, that's what I refer to her. Yeah, she is amazing, and I'm sure she'll come back on. And uh, she sounds super excited about uh, the future with the ESPN and the NHL, which I think we all are. Yeah, absolutely. And we, uh, dovetailing on that, we have Barry Melrose lined up to come on in a couple of weeks, so we'll see if we can sync up all of our schedules and get him on. I, I, I would imagine that Barry would have a little bit of a different perspective um, than Linda. Plus, we're going to be able to hopefully talk with him about uh, his time in Los Angeles as well. So we have that to look forward to. A lot of good things happening with the NHL going back on ESPN. Uh, DB, real quickly, there was uh, some information that, has, that sort of has come out over the last couple of days as well. People are wondering, they're getting a little bit nervous, what's going on between the NHL and NBC, which is the second half of that deal. It looks like, at least in, in my opinion, and we talked about this a few episodes ago, that with NBC Sports Network shutting down, uh, NBC is moving all of their sports programming to USA Network, and it looks like they have freed up Wednesday nights by moving NXT, one of the WWE shows, to mm-hmm. Tuesdays. They have freed up Wednesday night for the NHL, um, and I think it was in uh, Friedman's 31 Thoughts, or it was somewhere, I, I apologize if it wasn't, it was somewhere, somebody was saying, is it possible that ESPN just picks up all of it if things if uh, things don't work out with NBC? I would think no. I think that, the, I would think the NHL at this point wants multiple partners. What, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think they can swallow the entire ticket. I, I think it would go to Fox. Mm-hmm. I think Fox still has an interest. In, and John, you know, if you watched the Kings game last night, did you see the advertisement about the name change um, to Bally Sports that you've been talking about for um, the last six or seven weeks? Yeah, there's also, you know, it's funny. We talk about the WWE moving off of Wednesday night. There also is a wrestling connection to this whole thing as well because Sinclair, they own a wrestling company as well, which is called Impact. Right. But really what they wanted to do in Sinclair owning all of these uh, regional sports networks, they paid a, a lot of money, so much money. I believe they actually took a write down last year, Dennis, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of a, a devaluation. And so to recoup some of their money, that's why they ended up selling off the naming rights to Bally's. And I think we were talking about that sure. about six months ago, it feels like. But uh, it is it is interesting uh, to see something like that I, as a as a marketing person. I, I love that uh, um, idea and that concept. Right. They're doing something that's different. I, I don't understand the hate on this. People are like, oh, it's terrible. Why would they do it? Well, like, how is it bothering you? What <laughs> right? this they're recouping some of their money. What do you care what the channel is called? I don't care if it's called Bally's. I don't care if it's called you know, potato chip. Who cares? I just tell me where I can find the channel and where I can watch the games, Dennis. And if some people will pick their heads out of the sand, they'll understand where online gaming is going right now. Sure. It, it's going everywhere. And it's being, a, it, it's probably going to be approved in uh, New York state soon. Um, who knows what California, cause you know, it's a great state. We live in here, but I'll let <laughs> we, that go. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we can I, move on. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, online gaming is, you look at a, a stock like uh Penn national gaming that was pumped by uh by Dave Portnoy, Barstool, that went from like 55 to 125. This is the future. And so the fact that uh, they've aligned with a uh, a gambling entity, no surprise to me at all. And I agree with you. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Are the games still going to be on? That's the, that's all that matters. It's going to be the same channel, same number in your, in your remote. So mm-hmm. uh, just uh, let's move on from there. 
Yeah, and that's coming up uh, here at the end of the month. So we'll get to we'll actually start to get to see the first phase of what the rebranding is going to look like. And I'm sure, like anything, it will evolve over time. So what it looks like on April 1st probably won't be what it looks like, you know, in 12 or 24, even 36 months from now. Hey, Dennis, uh, you asked me an interesting question uh, a couple of episodes ago, and I, I appreciated it because it was kind of an off-the-wall question um, that made me think for a second. And that was my thoughts on a player, a non-goalie, uh, wearing number one. So I have kind of an off-the-wall question for you that made me chuckle the other day when I was tweeting something out about the Kings game happening at 3 o'clock. Do you have a game-time preference? We've seen a lot of, you know, there's 7 to 7.30 is, to me, is not that much of a debate, but there is the 7 versus 7.30 debate, plus you have the 5 o'clock games on Sundays, typically at the Ponda. You have normally a 1 o'clock game at Staples, occasionally a 12 o'clock, but normally a 1 o'clock game. And then this year... Uh, we're seeing three o'clock games. So I'm just curious if you have a preference for any particular reason. I do. So I'm wondering what yours is. I don't have a preference for three o'clock games. I don't think to make any sense to anybody. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of Sunday games, John, because in a normal year, Sunday's football, mm-hmm. right? So you want to try to squeeze a, a game in at five o'clock before all that. No, Sunday night football is at five thirty. So for me, layoffs, I, I, I think the earlier, the better. I, I'd like to see a, um, depending on traffic in LA, when things go back to normal, six thirty or seven o'clock. Seven thirty mm-hmm. is too late for me, and I think seven's better. Um, it, there's no consequence this year because I'm going to the games and there's nobody, in, there's no traffic anywhere in LA. Lives a ghost town, but mm-hmm. I would think seven and even leading towards six thirty for a start. I think the Yankees in New York are doing that now. They had six thirty uh, nighttime starts. It's just a question of can people. Now it's different, though, John. A lot of people working from home now, so is it easier to get to the arena? So. Um, I'm not a big fan of 7.30. I think that's too late of a start. Plus, with respect to media attention, if the games go on at 9.30 Eastern as opposed to 10.30 Eastern, maybe there's more eyeballs from the East on these games. Yeah, a couple of years ago, DB, the Kings were very seriously considering moving their games from 7.30 to 7. Um, and they had done some fan surveys and whatnot, and they know that the the longtime fan base is just so entrenched on you know 7.30 sure. because that's what it's always been. But they did see quite a bit of success with teams like Anaheim having their games at 7 o'clock. Many of the games around uh, teams around the league, I should say, not just Anaheim. But I know the Kings were seriously considering that. Uh, it would not surprise me coming out of the pandemic if they were to go to 7 o'clock because, if, to your point, if they looked at some of the media coverage they've been able to get by having some of these games earlier, um, they could see, you know, obviously, Obviously, the advantage to that, but 630 might be pushing it a little bit, uh, but you got me thinking about something. I could be wrong about this because I don't follow the NBA, but for some reason, something's telling me in my head that the Clippers play certain games at 630. Do you know? Is that true? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. I, I For some reason, I thought that they might have tried that. So it might play 630 on Sundays. Okay. Maybe that's what it is then. Okay. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, the the Sunday games, I get your point about football in the first half of the season. Uh, once you get on the other side of the Super Bowl, you know, the last couple months of the NHL mm-hmm. regular season, I think there is an opportunity to do Sunday games. But for me personally, I just do not like day games. I don't like 1 o'clock games. I don't like 3 o'clock mm-hmm. games. I don't know what yeah. it is. I just feel like it... it eats away my whole day. It's like right smack in the middle of the day. And um, I, I don't know. And the team never seems to play well during the day. So perhaps that has uh, some of the bias in there as well. But you just I've, get more kids in the building for day games. That, that's what that's about, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. And it's a different vibe. It's not like, can you remember the really last intense one o'clock game? No, no, no. I can't. I don't think there's been one. That's why. 
There you go. Yeah. No, I was trying to think uh, of one. Uh, there probably was a playoff game. Uh, I'm sure there was a playoff game that was at one o'clock in the afternoon, maybe even against the Sharks, ironically enough. Um, yeah, but yeah. I... But no, it's just not the same. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, let's get on to the next topic here. Interesting stuff. Uh, I have a technical question for you. There's something I love the details of things. And so here's a very, very technical question um, that might bore some people. So I apologize. But when Olimata was uh, didn't make the trip up to, to San Jose with the team yesterday and they ended up calling up Austin Strand. Right. This was a very technical thing that happened. Austin Strand was called up and placed immediately on the NHL roster, not on the taxi squad. Here's why I found that interesting. Todd this season has basically skated an extra defenseman in warmups um, just in case of anything. If, if something happened mm-hmm. or whatever, I don't know, to keep guys' legs loose, whatever it is. But here's my point. Austin Strand had played in uh, games back-to-back. He played Saturday. He played Sunday. The likelihood of them playing him in the third game was very, very low, right? You're not going to play somebody three games in a row. No. And plus the travel involved as well. I mean, it's you know, it's not terrible travel, but still. Um so here's my question. Daniel Brickley was on the taxi squad. Austin Strand is a righty. Brickley is a lefty. Mata's is going out and he's a lefty. If you were going to put some extra player in warmups that potentially you would have to put into the lineup, why wouldn't you do that with Brickley? And see, you don't people say, oh, well, maybe he made that decision, you know, once Strand got to the arena or five minutes before warmups. No, guys, you have a three o'clock deadline. At three o'clock in the afternoon, the, the, the NHL, the Kings have to file with the NHL to tell them which players are available on the roster that night. So at three o'clock in the afternoon, they made the decision that Daniel Brickley was not eligible to play by leaving him on taxi. I would have put Strand on um, taxi, right? so that I met the the four-player requirement, and then I would have put Brickley in warm-ups knowing that I had my six, but that if I needed to play somebody for some reason, I would have played Brickley. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? Well, I, I, they're rewarding Strand because if you put Strand on the NHL roster, he's getting his NHL money. Yeah, he gets a day pay. Sure. Yeah, I get that. So, so that's, I, I think you see where those two players stand in the pecking order of the organization. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. I'm thinking of it more, though, from a from a coaching perspective. If I'm because if I'm Todd, I'm not worried about guys pay. I'm worried about having the most options as a coach. And, you know, from three o'clock in the afternoon when players are taking their their midday nap at the hotel until warm ups, you never know what could happen. And I agree. I don't want to put Austin Strand in the lineup for a third game in a row when I have another healthy defenseman in Brickley that I could put in there and put him on the third pair. So I don't know. I just thought that technically that was a very interesting thing. And that's one of the problems with Zoom right now, Dennis, is that if this was a normal situation, we walk into the locker room uh, and, you know, we talk to Todd or not into the locker room, but outside the locker room, but we would talk to Todd about it and I could ask the question and sort of get to the answer of it. But it's not Mm -hmm. the type of thing that you're going to use one of your two Zoom questions yes. <laughs> to ask about. And not even today, John, because they're off and there's no media availability. <laughs> right, sure. Uh, okay, so another thing that happened in the game last night, Dennis, and you did attempt to ask Todd about it after the game. He did not uh, want to talk about it. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, Curtis Gabriel, Sharks forward, he uh, cross-checked McDermott, his former teammate from uh, Erie. He cross-checked him along the red line during warm-ups, and then ultimately they ended up fighting. So... 
Uh, Gabriel ended up with five minutes in the penalty box and only six minutes of playing time that night. So that was kind of funny. Um, but and he got a beating for his uh, trouble. He did get a beating for his trouble. That is true. And he also received a fine. This is kind of funny. The NHL uh, put out a tweet today saying that Sharks forward Curtis Gabriel has been fined $3,000 and coach Bob Bugner 5000 following an altercation prior to the March 22nd game. There is somebody who replied to this tweet, and it's a beautifully written uh, reply. It says, this makes it sound like Gabriel fought Bugner, which... When you go back That's and read great. the tweet, it does because it doesn't they say an altercation. an altercation with the Kings. It says that the two of them are fine for an altercation. Uh, uh, did you see the Did you see the video of the cross track? Yeah. Centerize? Yes. He's. I thought it was playful. Um, I the only reason why I would say probably they were, team, they were teammates. They were teammates, and there, but there were two things that sort of happened. One is that okay. when Gabriel comes down the red line, because he skates from one end of the red line to the other. At the beginning of the red line, you see Dowdy kind of turn and and maybe even say something to him. So Dowdy mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily amused that he was where he was, where Gabriel was, and he skates all the way down the red line, and then he cross-checks uh, McDermott. But McDermott yeah. didn't react at all. Like, it was just... No, he kind of laughed. Yeah, so maybe it was playful. Yeah. I don't know. But Dennis, whether it's playful or not, you can't do that. The optics, optics. are bad, yeah. especially because they ended up fighting. Now... If they didn't fight in the game, maybe he doesn't get fined. Like, even though it's wrong and you're not allowed to do it, like, it probably doesn't get hyped up and blown up into this big deal if they don't fight. But it did look like, yeah, you know, revisionist history, right? It it ends up looking like the precursor to their fight. Right. What about the fighting, though? You asked Todd about it, and I thought it was a great question, which is like, Todd, what's going on? It's like four or five games in a row. The Kings have had fights now, and fighting's up around the NHL. Like, what, what is going on? And he's like, ah, I don't know, but what's your take on this? Um, I, the lack of fans in the stands, mm-hmm. maybe, to get things going. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I, 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 oh, the other thing is, um, is that you're playing the same teams over and over again. Mm-hmm. So there might be there might be beefs, not in this particular case, but yeah, four games in a row, and it's not the same players either. Like Austin Wagner got in a fight against Vegas. I mean, mm-hmm. what's that about? So I just I think it's just the the lack of fans in the stands, and I just think that the repetitiveness of, of the schedule just maybe have the players on a little bit more of an edge. But the fighting's up. It's not just the Kings. It's not just uh, this division. Just in general, it's up um, around the league. Okay, so here back to the crack research staff. Somebody needs to find out. Are the fights happening more often in the second game or in the first game of these two game series around the NHL? And then we'll know if uh, yeah. if your theory there right. or your speculation about it being you know because they're playing the same teams. Maybe that's it. I, I don't know. It, it is certainly interesting because fighting has been going down and seems to be uh, going out of the league over the last couple of years. And then for whatever reason this year something's up. So uh, moving on, DB. Some some quick hits here before we wrap up the show today. Uh, Jonathan Quick to Toronto. There's been some trade speculation. I won't even call it rumor. Just some weird speculation that's out there. Um, and there was something about Anderson coming back in return. Uh, DB. People are missing the obvious in this. We talked about it on the program a couple weeks ago. If you trade Jonathan Quick, and I certainly believe Quick is in play. I don't think that the Kings are shopping him, but I think that they're very open to the trade possibilities and knowing that it, it, that teams are going to call. Um, so Quick is in play, I believe. However, we talked about what the return needs to be, Dennis, and the return needs to warrant him moving, number one. right? You can't just trade him for a fifth-round pick. That's, that's, that's embarrassing. Um, and demeaning okay. to a player who has meant so much to the organization. So you have to get enough back in return, number one. Number two, you need a veteran goaltender back in the deal in order to have somebody to play behind 
Peterson because you're not calling up Volalta. Maybe Grossnick, if you did the math and you're like, well, he's probably only going to play three games. We could live with it. Okay, fine. But what you also need is you need you need to figure out how to set yourself up for the expansion draft. And so the idea that they would get Freddie Anderson back makes absolutely no sense to me. He's a free agent. He's not under contract next year. So you would end up having to sign Grossnick. You had said a couple episodes ago, DB, if, if you're Troy Grossnick and somebody throws a one-year extension at you, are you going to sign it? Sure. But, yeah, trading Jonathan Quick is not as easy as just trading Jonathan Quick. Well, well you're getting out from under the contract for two more seasons, number one. Number two, you can sign Aaron Dell at the end of the season to to through a one-year deal. You can sign any veteran goaltender to a minimum deal before the expansion draft to, to re- meet that requirement. Yeah, but DB, um, you don't just want to just randomly, willy-nilly be offering those contracts because if that player is not uh, selected, that goaltender is not selected, that is now, that's your guy. You own him for next year. Yeah. Even if you put him on waivers okay. and nobody claims him, it's money you're burying in the, you know, in the minors. You know, you're, you're sitting on a million-dollar contract. This isn't like a $100 deal here. Yeah, but they have a $20 million cap space, so it doesn't matter. The thing is, it's not about these guys. It's about number 40. Are you ready to give Cal Peterson 65, 70% of the net next season? That's what this is about. If you're not, then you hold on to John. And I don't think John Quick, if you trade him, he gives one damn about what he traded for. I get your point, though. I understand it. Um, It's a way to get out from under the contract. And it depends. Look, and the flip side is like, okay, so it's not just, it it was Toronto specifically. Because here's the thing, John. I'll give you a multiple choice question. Who, who do you depend on most to win a playoff series? Jonathan Quick, A, Freddie Anderson, B, or Jack Campbell, C? I know your answer. So <laughs> so that's that's the flip side of the coin. So I, I, while I don't think it's going to happen because the quarantine involved and then you're down, you're not, you don't have a goalie for, you know, two weeks, mm-hmm. unless you want to give Jack a run for two weeks, which he probably deserves. Mm-hmm. There's intricacies about it that, that, that do make sense. Um, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but... Um, it's a way to get out from the 5-8 for the next two seasons, and you give a guy who can still, we believe, you and I both believe, if you went to that team, John, I think you can win with that team. So that's the question. It's like you're going to rely on Freddie Anderson again, and when they go out in the first or second round again, and he doesn't play great again, and Jack's, un- you know, John, Jack's played, I think, four games in a year. Like So now that's going to be the guy, and now there's how you know Steve Simmons is running about how now it's, it's Jack Campbell's turn. We don't know that. Like, you got to back your bets. I and mean, you want to back your bet with Freddie Anderson. Okay, that's fine. I think a better back would be Jonathan Quick. But I agree. Do I think it's going to happen? No, for the reasons that we talked about. For the, From a Kings perspective, I do want to point out, everybody keeps focusing on the 5-8 on the cap hit. Um, the Kings have plenty of cap space. The 5-8 five uh, on the cap hit is not a big deal. Go to the salary column, though, and he's only at $3 million, I believe, next year, and two yep. five or two seven the year after that. So he's very affordable as a backup if you want to have some confidence in somebody behind Cal Peterson. And even if you did think that you're going to give Cal 60% of the starts next year, uh, you, you know you could do a lot worse than having Jonathan Quick as the backup. So we'll sure. see where it goes. Um, how about on some milestones here, DB? We have uh, interesting, um, I love numbers, Right now, Dustin Brown, number of games played for the LA Kings, 12-12. Dave Taylor, 11-11. 
kind of funny. Um, That's great. And then Kopitar is at 11.04. So he is just a handful of games from tying Dave Taylor and moving into second place all time, uh, of course, behind Dustin Brown. So it was a very emotional time for Brown and Taylor and, and many longtime L.A. Kings fans when Brown past Dave Taylor a year or two ago, and now we're going to see Kopitar do the same thing. Interesting of note here, though, DB, uh, Jeff Carter is number 20 on the list of games played in an LA Kings uniform. He's at 571. And so while everybody is going to be talking about Kopitar being, what is he, six or seven, whatever he is, number of games away from Dave Taylor, uh, Carter at 571, he's seven games behind Jim Fox for passing him and moving into 19th. I bring That's a that lot of games, John. Yeah. It, it is, but I bring this up because of this point, DB, talking about potential moves and these five vets and everything. Okay, he'll probably, Carter will get to, uh, he'll pass Foxy at 578, but right. will he get to 600 games played in a Kings uniform? What do you think about a, the potential of a Jeff Carter buyout over the summer as some of this other money falls off the books at the end of the season? You could, you don't have to. I agree. I, I mean, they, they're they're sitting nice with him in there, and John, they just wax poetic so much about his leadership. Mm-hmm. If he's able to look, he's going to have to accept a lesser role. Mm-hmm. And and you've put it to, to Todd this season, and Todd's defended him, and I get it, and I understand it. But he'll be what thirty seven next season. Um, it, it's the Patrick Marlowe syndrome. Like, well, who would want Jeff Carter, right? So I, I think rightfully you mentioned buyout first and not trade. Um. Since they can afford them, they're not going to make. They're not going to make any substantial moves. Then keep him on the team. I guess he's beloved by the kids on the team. He can show some leadership. So keep running with him. What do you think? That's I. I couldn't agree with you more. I don't understand why everybody is so infatuated with the idea of a Jeff Carter buyout. Like, oh really? No. no there was a time and place where a Carter buyout might have made more sense. Where a Carter trade yes. might have made more sense. But the year off seems to have rejuvenated him. He was in a great mood. He came into camp. He's, you know, Todd, like you said, he's he's going on and on about his leadership and he's taking on this role. Dennis, they only have five core vets on this team. Yeah, Outside right. of those exactly. five guys, this is a very young and inexperienced, especially from a winning perspective, right? This is a group of players that haven't accomplished anything, anything at the National Hockey League level outside of those five guys. Uh, you know, so, I mean, you're not even talking about like three years of getting into the playoffs and losing and right. And just having to figure out how to lose before you figure out how to win. That's not even what we're talking about. DB. We're talking about guys that have accomplished nothing in the national hockey league outside of those five core players. What's the hurry to get rid of him? Like they have the money to afford him hit back to the cash. The cash hit is completely different than the cap hit. Yes. What's and, and, and the prospects that are coming, people saying, well, clear the room out for these kids. Like, like, really? Like, you you really, you think that Jeff Carter has to go in order to make room for them? Like, there are a bunch of bubble players on this current LA Kings team that you could clear out and get rid of. They already started the process. Michael Amadio going on waivers, et cetera. There are Mm -hmm. a couple of other guys, DB, that we could name. You don't have to get rid of Jeff Carter just to bring in insert prospect, right? Akil Thomas, Turcotte, whoever it is that people want. You don't have to do that. I just, um, I don't understand people's infatuation with the buyout idea. And here's the thing. Go to Cap Friendly, click on Jeff Carter, buyout details. The annual cost savings is (laughs) $666,667. So it doesn't, it makes no, like that, you can't afford that for a guy who, and John, here's the thing. It it goes back to, again, your questioning of Todd about Jeff. 
if there was a beef between this player and the coach, mm-hmm. sure. But mm-hmm. this is a coach who's defending this player, so certainly he thinks he's part of a core that can help this team grow and win. So that it makes no sense financially. It doesn't make any sense from a from a personality standpoint because I'm sure he messaged with Todd because Todd's defending him. Um, so yeah, it doesn't make any sense unless and there's no value for him in the trade market. So yeah, let him ride out his career. Uh, the team should be even better next season and let him help and teach lessons to these kids on what it really takes to win in games that probably will be even more important next season because, John, you got to assume they're going to be in the postseason next year. Mm-hmm. So could you use Jeff Carter in the room during a postseason run? Mm-hmm. Sure could. Mm-hmm. Final question to wrap things up today, DB. Uh, again, thank you to Linda Cohn for coming on and chatting with us in the second period. Great conversations today, Dennis. Uh, milestones. Goal milestone. Dustin Brown is sitting at 313 goals. He is number six on the list. Bernie Nichols is number five at 327. 14 goals away. Can Dustin Brown get there this year? Mm, that would be 28 goals in 55 <laughs> games. No, John. No. <laughs> but if the, but hold on. At the beginning the of the hold on. At the beginning the of the goal, year. John, against Vegas. <laughs> He was just standing at the net by himself. There wasn't got somebody within five feet of him. It was a tap-in. So you give him a half a goal for that. So, no, um, yeah, right? Are we even talking about this at the, in, in December? No, it's just been – That was my question. To, that was my question. How can you say no considering just three months ago what you would have said, you know, predicted the number of goals at midseason? Well, the power play got to be better than last night if he's going to get to 28. You know? Well, that, that, that is true. That is true. Uh, so that, that's, that's what Dustin Brown should be shooting for right now. In addition to putting the Kings in the playoffs, he needs to get 14 more tallies this season. He needs to move into number five. That would be a nice cap on the season. And uh, tie, 14 goals would tie him with Bernie Nichols at number five. And then uh, he, can, he can have a run at it next year and see how much further up the list he wants to get. Uh, Dennis, Kings, Sharks, you want to make a prediction before, uh, before they suit up for the second game of this two-game series? Yeah, they didn't get the bounces on Monday night. They'll get the bounces on Wednesday and should win. They, they should have won the game to just... Jeff Carter got to shoot that puck with three seconds to go in front of the net, John. He can't pass it to Kopi, but yeah, I think they'll get the bounces, and they really need to win the game against the team that they're better than, so I, I expect them to come away with the victory. Yes, and we have learned one thing this season, Dennis, uh, and if, if we've learned one thing, it's that the Kings come out looking like a different team in the second game of their two-game series, so uh, they'll, they'll finish out that series, and then they were, uh, they'll be heading off to Vegas to play the Golden Knights. We will be back later in the week to talk more about this, and we have a special surprise. I won't even give any hints, Dennis. We have a special surprise coming up at the end of the week. We're going to do something on Kings of the Podcast that we've never done before. And no, we're not going to bring three guests on at one time, but we are going to do something unique uh, on Friday to wrap up the week. So until then, enjoy the hockey, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Got you feeling like a champion. The city never sleeps, better slip you an ambient.